Good morning, Northland Church. It's so great to be with you. And, and those of you who are here in the building, thank you for taking that brave step of coming. Uh, just a huge shout out to our facility and operational teams that have done so much to make this a safe and prepared place, as safe as it can, can be to come into a building. So, so grateful for what our team at Northland is doing. And those of you joining online, it's so good to be with you as well. Thank you for tuning in to hear the word of God this morning. Uh, But let's start with the obvious today, church family. We have an election, and it's in nine days. I know I don't need to remind anybody of that. I know we're all aware of that, very, very aware in this cultural moment that we're in together. I want to encourage you to vote, to take part in our democracy, and vote as the Holy Spirit leads you as a believer. Uh, And I thought since we're all in the room together here, we might as well just do a little straw poll as well. So I'm going to name one of the two major political candidates for the office of president. And then if that's who you're going to vote for, just raise your hand. So so raise your hand if you are going to vote. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) A couple of people, I saw a couple of people nervous, like, wait, is he is he serious? And uh, no, that would be a really fast way for me to get voted off the elder board of of Northland, I think, if we went down that road. But I do want to remind you this morning, church family, that that our faith, the Word of God, places our God above the nations, above presidents, above tech companies, above everything else. In Isaiah 10.15, we read that the nations are like axes, but the Lord is the one who swings them. God is above the nations, and our faith is in Him. So let's stop and pray together for our nation in this election season before we jump into the message today. Join me in prayer. Lord, we pray today that in this election season that you would preserve and uphold this republic that we're in. Father, let this election be clearly settled and not disputed. We pray for peace. And let the incoming administration on either side, whichever is victorious, let them be equipped with wisdom to govern. They may or may not call upon you, Lord, but you direct the course of the king's heart. Your kingdom is the eternal one. Your church is 2,000 years old and will last forever. America is less than 300 years old. And though we love our nation and the values it represents, it is not where our ultimate hope resides. Help us remember that. Help us to love our nation, but remember that our citizenship is in heaven, and help us spend our lives in response to your kingdom calling. Amen. So church family, I do want us to remember this. This is so important. The calling of God on your life and the calling he's placed on my life, that calling is not waiting on what's going to happen in November of 2020, or for that matter, November of 2024 or 2028. Our calling is to make great and glorify and magnify the name of Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of Lords, and He is the King of Kings. So we're gonna spend today looking at the calling of Jesus on our lives, and I want us to keep our mind elevated above the chaos that seems like it's surrounding us. Amen? So today we're going to look at the church's earthly founder, the rock on whom Jesus built his church, Simon Peter. And we're going to look in John 21 as we're actually coming into the close. This is the next to last sermon in our series on the gospel of John. We've walked through this beautiful gospel that John gave to us many, many years ago. So today is John 21, 1 through 14. But before we get into the text there, I'm all about context. So when we read a verse, when we read a chapter of the Bible, it's really, really good, but I love to zoom out and say, where are we in the story? So today, John 21, Jesus has risen from the dead, 
and he's going to appear to some of his disciples, and we're going to unpack what it means in that passage. But I want, before we do that, I want us to actually go backwards in time three years and take a look at Luke chapter 5. So I'm not going to read from Luke 5, but if you want the full story, you can go there. But at this time, Peter had not yet met Jesus. He's a fisherman, and he goes out fishing with Andrew and with James and John. And these guys fish all night, and they catch nothing in Luke 5. You probably know this story if you're familiar with the Bible. And so they don't catch anything. They come on shore exhausted. And then there's this rabbi teaching, and he says, hey, can I stand in your boat and teach the crowd? And they say, sure. This rabbi is Jesus, and he gets in their boat, and he teaches. And then he says, by the way, guys, let out your nets for a catch. And they say, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. He says, no, just do it. And so they do. And then their nets miraculously fill up with fish. And it's this amazing moment. And Peter has been hearing Jesus teach. And then he sees Jesus basically command fish to appear out of nowhere and fill up their nets. And what does Peter do? He falls down before Jesus and he says, away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He knows he's in the presence of someone holy. But not only does Jesus not go away from Peter in that moment, he actually calls these four guys to become his disciples. That famous line, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So it's this powerful moment with Jesus, the calling of Jesus on Peter's life and Andrew and James and John. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can probably think back to that moment where you realized Jesus is calling me. I'm going to follow him. This could change everything in my life. I want us to dwell on that emotional moment for Peter by actually watching a three-minute clip uh, up on the screen out of the TV series called The Chosen. Some of you may have seen this series. Um, I'm often a little skeptical of when people say, hey, there's this Christian you know, TV show or something. I'm like, ah, I don't know. But my wife and I, enough people told us to watch The Chosen. We watched the first season, and it was really good. Uh, we don't treat it as God's word because it's not, but they have worked really hard, you can tell, to stay faithful to the text and to bring it to life in a way that can build our faith. And so the clip we're going to watch is after Luke 5, after Jesus calls Peter, and Peter was married at this time, and so he does the thing that any of us do after we have an amazing moment. If we're married, we get on the phone, we rush home, and we tell our spouse all about it. That's the scene we're going to watch, Peter and his wife, after the call of Jesus. So let's tune into this. So, I worked for hours last night, and I couldn't even catch one fish the entire night. And then Andrew and the boys showed up. Thank you for that, by the way. And none of us could catch one fish the entire night. It was horrible. And this morning, we finally gave up, and we went ashore. But there was this teacher on shore. And Andrew knew who he was, but I'll talk about that later. He told me to cast one more time which made no sense, but I did it anyway because of the way he, he looked at me. And then so many fish showed up. They were pouring into the boat. So many kept coming that, that Zebedee ended up filling both of our boats, enough to pay off the whole debt. I... Eh, what? I know. Why don't you seem happy? Well, this is hard to explain more than what you just told me. No, it's like the story of Elijah and Elisha. Yes? Elisha was plying with 12 yoke of oxen when Elijah the prophet just walked up and threw his cloak over him. I, 
calling to follow him. And without delay, Lasha slaughtered the oxen, burned the plow, and left everything behind. Yes. The, the teacher. Andrew told me, but I didn't believe him at first. He's the Messiah. I know it sounds impossible, but I, I saw it with my own eyes. He made boatfuls of fish appear out of nowhere. And the words he spoke, the one John told Andrew was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it was him. And then, and then he called me to follow him. And Andrew, James, and John to go where he goes and, and to learn from him. And he said that I wouldn't be a fisherman anymore, but that I would catch people instead. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I'm sure what I saw. He's the one we've been waiting for all our lives. And I want to quit fishing and leave the sea behind to go. I know, I know, I know it makes no sense, and I knew it would make you upset. All I can tell you is that this is. Upset. So I love that. I love the way they capture that emotion. And, and we read these stories in the Bible, but so often we miss stopping and thinking, what would that have actually been like to live through it? And I love the picture of Peter. And again, it probably resonates for you if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, that calling, that realization, my whole life is going to look different from here on. So the reason that was so important, remember, that's out of Luke 5. Peter follows Jesus for three years. And now Jesus has been crucified, he's risen from the dead, and we're going to catch up with John 21, 1 through 14, and I want you to watch for parallels out of the story we just talked about and the one that's about to happen three years from each other. So this is John 21, 1 through 14, reading from the ESV. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar so far? Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John who's writing this gospel, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish. 
for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So I love this passage, and and if we're going to ask what's going on in this text, I want to walk us through three things that are happening in this text in John 21. Number one, it's a reminder that your journey with Jesus is not finished. He's calling you today. It was true for the disciples, and we're going to unpack that in just a moment. And second is that when Jesus calls us, he provides. And third is when Jesus calls us, he transforms us. So we're going to talk about each of these three things that arise out of looking at this passage in turn. Let's look at number one together. But before we even dive in too deep on that, I want to, again, just start with the emotional and, and spiritual state of the disciples at the moment this story happens. So remember, they've been fishing all night and they caught nothing. We could gloss over that. Um, But I was thinking probably the best parallel for many of us in the room, uh, if you've had a baby before, uh, mom's out there, dad's out there, have you had a baby who's newborn and is not yet sleep trained? Uh, And what is your state, what's your spiritual receptivity at around 3.30 in the morning when the baby is crying and you've had no success all night long? How do you feel in that moment? Um, Not great, not great. Uh, Our oldest child, Jack, um, he was our first. We didn't know what we were doing. He also had a bad case of colic, wasn't sleep trained yet, and so I can remember those nights. My wife, Megan, was the hero. She did more than me, but but I took my shifts too, and and again, three, four in the morning. uh, I can remember running an empty load in the dryer, just trying to get some noise or vibration, just anything to make him stop crying, to get him comfortable. It's a moment of desperation. So that's where the disciples are at. And then this guy on the shore, they can't tell who it is through the mist of the morning, and he's yelling like, hey, you guys got any fish? And they're like, what in the world? Like, no, we don't have any fish. Like, so they're probably a little bit irritated to begin with. They're not in the greatest spot. But if you zoom out and look at their bigger picture, they're also in a difficult place as the disciples of Jesus because they have failed the Lord tremendously. If you remember on the night of Jesus' passion, he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was his greatest night of anguish and turmoil in his humanity. And and he asked his disciples, would you come pray with me? You guys remember what they did? They fell asleep. And so they let down the Lord of Lords, the Son of God. They were his best friends on earth, his disciples, and they failed him in that moment. And then for Peter, not only that, but as the night unfolded, he denied Jesus three times. After having said, Jesus, I'll die for you, denied him three times and and ran away. And so the disciples had failed so tremendously. They had let Jesus down. And so they're out there fishing. And can you imagine the guilt and the shame and the doubts that they were feeling? But the miraculous and wonderful thing in this story is that Jesus teed this up to rekindle something in his disciples. He knew that they were out there fishing And he knew that they weren't going to catch anything. In fact, I think it might have been his sovereign hand that kept the fish away from their nets that night because he's going, I want to recreate that moment of calling. 
And I want Peter to feel all the stuff he felt that you saw on the screen. I want to remind the disciples, all seven of them on the boat, of their calling. And it's not only a reminder, but it's actually a real calling for today. And they realized it, right? John, when the nets filled up, he realized and he said to Peter, it's the Lord. And that doesn't just mean, hey, it's exciting that it's Jesus over there. It also means he's calling us again. He's doing that thing he did. He's not finished with us yet. And as they sat around the campfire together, it began to sink in. Our journey with Jesus is not finished. And so you may have been in a similar place as some of those disciples, the place that they found themselves in. You may have let somebody down. You may have let God down. And when we let somebody down, it leaves us feeling confused. What's going to come next? What's the next step? 2020 has beat a lot of us up through all the things that have happened over the last several months. So no matter where that has left you, the reminder for you today is the same reminder that the disciples received. Your journey with Jesus is not finished. He's calling you today in a fresh and powerful way. Sometimes Jesus gives us a second calling. It's a chance to re-engage. It's a chance to go deeper. It may be a new beginning, but he gives us that second calling. Some of us are like, yeah, I'm way past that. I'm on like my fifth calling. But Jesus calls us deeper and deeper and deeper. And often as he does that, our understanding grows over time. So you can think about Peter and the other disciples when Jesus first called them, right? Uh, In that moment with Peter and his wife, they're probably thinking, this is going to be so prestigious. This is like an internship with a big famous company. This is the Messiah. I'm going to be one of his guys. We're going to rule over Jerusalem. We're going to overthrow Rome. This is going to be outstanding. People will sing our praises after we learn the ropes from this teacher. And over the three-year journey, they learned that's not quite what it's going to look like. It was different. But as they learned how different it was going to be, and as they failed Jesus and let him down, Jesus is saying, I'm the risen son of God. I'm standing here with you. And guess what? Our journey's not done. Come follow me. You know more than you used to know, and I'm continuing to invite you deeper. And that's the invitation, brothers and sisters, that he has for us as well here today. So your journey with Jesus is not finished. He's calling you today. Number two, when Jesus calls you, he provides Often God's calling on our life stirs up financial fear. I don't know if that resonates for anybody. Again, in the video, you saw that for Peter. I don't know how I'm going to provide. For some of us, the call of God involves a career switch, a vocational change. And that's been true in so many stories in my life and many other stories I've heard. And we go, how is it going to work? But for many of us, that may not be the case. We may keep our same job, keep our same career, glorify God in what we're doing. But then as we step into discipleship as as a follower of Jesus, we begin to learn through his word, wow, the call of discipleship, walking with God, involves becoming a joyful and radically generous giver. And what is that going to look like? If I start giving 10%, maybe even more than that, maybe 20% of my income away joyfully to support the place where I worship, like Northland Church where I'm fed, or, or to give to the poor in obedience to Scripture, as I become a joyfully generous disciple, am I going to be okay? That's going to look different in my finances, and it can stir up fear for us. And at the moment of their second calling, When they're out fishing, Jesus filled up their nets again, just like he had done three years before. And and think about this. They're not going to eat all 153 of those big fish. 
Uh, they're fishermen. Those are going to the market. Those are going to get sold. That's coins in their pouch. That's money in their bank account. Jesus literally brought a financial gift straight from heaven at the moment of their second calling. That's such a cool thing. And Jesus did this consistently. Remember, he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000, and there were leftovers. He got a tax coin that was owed out of the mouth of a fish miraculously. Jesus was saying to his disciples over and over, guys, I've got this part. You serve me, and I'll take care of the details. You serve me, and I will provide. And we've got to notice that this is not a prosperity gospel message. This is not you serve me and you'll have everything you need. You'll have lots of money. You'll be healthy. You'll have everything you could ever want. The American dream will be true in your life. No, no, no. It's not that. These disciples had to sweat it out. And in fact, most of them were martyred for their faith. They faced great difficulties. But as we heard earlier in our series on John, one of the statements Jesus made in this gospel, in this world you will face many troubles, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. That's the message of Jesus. So don't be deceived by false prophets of a false gospel that say, if you just speak the right word of faith over your destiny, or if you, if you pray the right prayers, or even if you give to a certain ministry in a certain way that blessings will rain down from heaven, all your problems will go away healthy and wealthy. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there is this promise that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that he will, in in some way, he'll meet us in our journey as our provider. By the way, that's Matthew 6.33, the reference to that scripture. So we don't follow Jesus to get more money, but when we follow him, he promises to be our provider. Peter gave up his daily work to follow Jesus, and in Mark chapter 10, he actually asked Jesus directly about this. After the rich young ruler conversation, Peter says, what about us, Lord? We gave up a lot to follow you. And Jesus answers the question directly. So we're going to put this on the screen, Mark 10, 29 and 30, and Jesus is responding to Peter, and I'm going to abbreviate this. You see the full text there, but when he lists, he lists a bunch of relationships and and financial possessions in an agrarian society, so I, I want to abbreviate that for us. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left behind money and relationships for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time money and relationships, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So that's a really cool statement. It's a powerful statement. And we know about eternal life. We learned that in the Christian faith. We receive it now. It's manifested fully after we die. We're in heaven with Jesus Christ forever. That's eternal life. But in the here and now, what if we give something up financially to follow you, Jesus? What if we give up relationships to follow you, Jesus? He's saying, You're going to get it back a hundredfold, and guess what? There's going to be persecutions along the way. There are going to be seasons in your life where you feel short on cash, and you feel like you've lost a friendship or a family relationship because of your discipleship journey, but I'm going to be with you in that. But there's also going to be seasons where you're surrounded by rich relationships more than you ever could have imagined, and even receive financial blessings that come straight from heaven, like the nets being filled for Peter and the other disciples. Does this ring true for anybody? It is a, a hundred, I see some hands around the room and I know online, this has a hundred percent been true for me and my family. Most recently, um, I thought I'd share this little story from our family and I, and I got to go back to, um, my wife Megan and I got married. We were, you know, engaged, newlyweds and we have all those right, the right conversations you have. And one of them is like, how big is our family going to be? 
And so I shared with Megan, you know, I, probably two kids is about right for me, maybe one, but, but probably two. And Megan says, oh, that's interesting. Really, for me, it's more like three to five. Go, oh, wow, okay. And so uh, there's no exact overlap, but like one to two, three to five, like we can probably find a way to compromise. And that's exactly what we did. And so today we have five children. Um, that's, it. that's a picture of us there. And you see our family. And, and, and our first three children were biological. And you notice the sweet, beautiful babies there. Their faces are blurred out due to the laws around foster children. Those are our foster twins. We love them so much. And God called Megan and I to become a foster family late last year, and we went through all the classes and all of that. We got certified to take one child, and then here comes the phone call that says, can you take twins? And we're like, wow, can we have like half an hour to think about that? And, <laughs> and they showed up. That, you get the phone call, here come the babies, and, and it was such a gift. It was so amazing, and, and that was, I just want to reiterate part of the call that God placed on our life. He was stirring that in us for five, six years, and finally he, he brought us into that journey. So we became a foster home, we received these twins, but, but what reflects that scripture from Mark chapter 10 in our journey is the relational part. Because we were part of this Northland community, we, we were part of a small group that my wife and I hosted and, and had other good relationships, and as we stepped into this journey, it was nothing that we asked for, but man, our friends from the Northland community rallied around us with this rallying cry like, you know, we're not all called to foster in this moment, but we're all called to care and bless these beautiful children who are a gift from God and who deserve to be loved and cared for. And that's a lot for any one family to do, but in a community, we can make it work. And so they said, guys, we're going to provide a meal for you every week. We're going to help you with logistics. Tell us what the prayer requests are. We're going to surround you in prayer. And, and by God's grace and by the love of our friends in the Northland family that surrounded us. It's been an amazing journey. Uh, the little baby boy, he needed physical therapy for some of the developmental things going on. And uh, it was going to be every week. And, and did I mention we have five kids? And by the way, my wife Megan homeschools, and, and I've got a busy job, and I'm on the road here and there. So how in the world are we going to make this work? Uh, but that care community stepped in and said, we've got you covered. Week in and week out, we're going to help this little baby boy get exactly what he needs. And so can you picture and imagine the joyful celebration in community when he graduated a few months later from that physical therapy, developmentally on track, right on pace, by the grace of God. So we're so thankful to our friends. Again, it's that hundredfold return. The journey cost us something, and yet then in the mystery of God, we never could have asked for these rich relationships. And so maybe here at Northland, you've been listening to the messages, you've been blessed by the teaching, but you've never really leaned into relationship. You've never tried to get connected with others, to hang out. Well, it's a little difficult now, but to hang in the lobby as soon as we get past this COVID season and have those conversations, plug into a small group. I encourage you to do that. God will bless you in your journey as you do that. So when Jesus calls us, he provides. The third point, and the last one we're going to talk about out of this text today, is that when Jesus calls us, he transforms us. Often when he calls us, we're thinking, I don't know if I can do this. I know what God's asking of me, and I don't know if I can do it. And the beautiful thing is, guess what? You can't. So don't worry about that. But by the Holy Spirit, he will equip you to do it. We know from Scripture that anyone who's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. And that is so powerfully true in the life of Peter. See, Jesus often takes our area of greatest failure or struggle 
and he flips it around and turns it into our area of calling and impact. And if you look at the life of Peter, he was a natural-born leader. He was always taking charge. He was always taking control. But the shadow side or the flip side of Peter's personality is that he, he hated the idea of suffering. He hated the idea of being out of control. And you see this, you know, when Jesus said to his disciples that he was going to have to suffer and die at the hands of the Jewish leaders, Peter rebuked Jesus. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. So uh, any day you have, anytime you have a bad day, you can just remember that. It's not that bad. The Son of God has not said, get behind me, Satan, to you, like he did to Peter in that interaction. When Jesus was being arrested, Peter lost faith that he was truly in control, sovereign over all of it. He cut off the ear of the high priest's servant with his sword. And remember, Jesus said, Peter, put away your sword. Peter hated the idea of losing control, of suffering. Imagine his reflections as he fished. I never got the chance to show Jesus that I could do it his way, that I could trust that he is actually in control of the circumstances I face. So I want to actually invite you to a little bit of Bible study on this. Uh, We've given you today a framework for the life of Peter. He's a fisherman. He's a natural-born leader. He gets called by Jesus through a miracle. He spends three years as a disciple. He fails and falls badly in this time Uh, where he, at the time of the crucifixion, he denies Jesus. But then he gets a second calling from Jesus here today. And so what does that do in Peter's life? If you want to discover what it does, I invite you to go read Acts chapter 2 through 5. It's four chapters early in the book of Acts. Check it out, Acts 2 through Acts 5. I'm not going to give you much of a spoiler other than to say, remember that Peter's the guy who struggled with suffering, struggled with being in control, And then we see him as this bold proclamation of the gospel who is just going to let God be God and let Peter be Peter. It's an amazing thing that we see in those chapters. Peter himself would go on to write these words in 1 Peter, the letter that he wrote, chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So the guy who struggled with suffering writes this letter closer to the end of his life, and he says, brothers and sisters, he says it to us today, brothers and sisters, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. Don't be surprised by a contested election. Don't be surprised by social upheaval. Don't be surprised by a global pandemic. It's a fiery trial Insofar as you suffer in the midst of all this, be united to Jesus Christ and listen for and follow his calling because it's active today in the midst of everything that we face. I want to invite the worship team to come join us. Michelle is going to lead us in just a moment into a time of really leaning in and and worshiping God and listening for his call no matter what we have gone through or faced in our journeys. Jesus Christ is calling you, no matter what you've struggled with, no matter what's hit you here in this year. And I know that three things are true because they come out of John 21. Number one, know this, your journey with Jesus is not finished. He's calling you today. Number two, when Jesus calls you and you follow him, he will provide along the way. And number three, when Jesus Christ calls you, He transforms you. He equips you for service in the same way that he transformed Peter. So let's step into this time of worship together.
Thank you, church family.